This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Our passage today is Genesis 21, 1-19, and... Um, Let's read our word together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, settled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to, to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lift, lift up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the far of the the far and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the far and the wood, but but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the bomb offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, in order and a bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not uh, withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and, and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up in burning offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, 
on the moment of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offerings shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offerings shall be named nations of the earth. Be blessed, because you have obeyed obey my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Amen. Welcome this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for reading for us and Caleb and the worship team. So this is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, right? And probably could stand alone as a literary masterpiece. It's a simple story. It's a story about a test given, the test accepted, the test passed. But on another level, it's an astounding study of obedience and faith. And God's provision. So let's look at this story in the three main points. God tests, Abraham obeys, and God provides. The passage starts with, after these things, God tested Abraham. After these things, we know what's come before, right? We've seen Abraham fail. We've seen Abraham grow in faith. And all of that is preparation for this moment of testing. You know, we can know for certain that God tests his people, each one of us. That's one thing we learn from this passage. God tests the faithfulness of his people. And he knows perfectly how to prepare us for those tests, right? He's got a big test coming down the road. You don't have to panic about the big test. He's going to take you through smaller tests to prepare you. All of you who are parents know you don't send your two or your three-year-old out to mow the yard and weed eat it, Right? They can't do it. They're physically not prepared to do something that taxing. But oh my goodness, don't wait till they're 10 or 12 years old before you ask them to do anything, right? I mean, a three-year-old can go out and get the toys out of the yard. A three-year-old can throw the rocks in the the neighbor's yard so he has to mow over them. I mean, come on. Teach your children to do these things. No, we have to start. We have to start when they're young. And we know that obedience is the linchpin of discipleship, and it must start early. That's why when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he addressed husbands, he addressed wives, he addressed fathers, and he addressed children. What does Ephesians 6.1 say? Children what? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is Right. Well, you can't disciple a teenager unless you taught the three-year-old to obey. And let's back it up to maybe one years old. One year old. Don't wait. Start early. That's what God does with us. That's what He did with Abraham. He didn't ask Abraham when He called him from Ur to sacrifice, you know, what was precious to him, his wife, or, or, or you know, one of his his father. You know, God doesn't ask us to do that. He starts small. He says, take your son, 
your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. This child of promise, God says, the one that you love, give him back to me as a sacrifice. Now, don't get this twisted, saints. Don't listen to modern criticism of Genesis. Modern criticism of just about anything in the Bible stinks, and it's man-centered, right? This is not a story about an abusive and a sadistic father who delights in watching his children do terrible things. And it's not about child sacrifice. It's a story about God testing the faithfulness of his people. And look, whenever God does that in Scripture, when he does it here with Abraham, when you read further in the Old Testament and you see him testing Moses, and he does it more than once, and he tests his his saints, it's almost always, he almost always calls them to obey in a way that they don't understand. He asked them to do something that they don't understand. Hey, Joshua, take your men, march around that heavily fortified city that is just rife with soldiers and weaponry. Just march around it seven times. Once a day for seven days, then blow the trumpet, watch what happens. Now, Joshua could have said, what? I don't understand that. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. Look, we do not wait to obey God until we understand his ways and his future plans for us and how all this is going to turn out, do we? Because if that were the, 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 the requirement, we would never obey God. If I have to understand exactly what this means and why you're asking me to do it and exactly what's going to happen and how are you going to make all this look good, I'm not going to do it because we'll never understand it. Why? Because God said in Isaiah, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, God tests his people, and it's always for our good and for God's glory. You can, you can bank on that. Every time God tests us, it's for our good. We might grow up in obedience and faith, and it's for his glory. Because when his people grow up in obedience and faith, he is glorified. He's magnified. God looks good in his people in that moment. And we know that God always looks good. God tests his people and it strengthens faith. But when people test God, they do so because their faith is weak or withered or absent. When God tests our faith, he often asks us to give up something we love, something we really love. Look, we don't pass the offering plate on Sunday so you can put something that, you know, you don't really care about in it. Here's my old coonskin cap I used to wear when I pretended to be Daniel Boone. I don't love this anymore. No, that's not how we offer a sacrifice to God. He, he commands his people to give something that they love, money, because he wants to make sure that we love God more than money. Right? And, and, and then that we learn to trust that He will provide for us if we give a sacrifice of praise, if we give a sacrifice of money, if we give a sacrifice of time, if we give a sacrifice of fruitfulness for the kingdom. So you could say, in one sense, we're tested every Sunday. God tests His people. 
Sometimes God asks us to give up something completely. A career that we love but has become an idol. Or it's become such a time commitment that we don't have time for family and faith and church and ministry and discipleship because our career demands everything from us. Well, God didn't create us to be career-centered, did He? Sometimes we give up a talent that we love, but it's stolen our affection for God from us. Sometimes we give up a habit that we love, but we're consumed by it to the point we cannot imagine life without it. And God says, give that up. (laughs) You love me? Give that up. Look, he even says, sometimes he even says, you love your family more than me. And the best way to love your family, not to leave them, love God is not to leave your family, but to love God first. Right? The best parents are the ones that love each other and they love the Lord and then the children come after that. It's not the other way around. We're not to have child-centered families or child-centered communities. We're to have Christ-centered families, Christ-centered churches, and our children will flourish in that environment. It's the very best place for them. So God tested Abraham's obedience as he does ours, and that leads us to God's or Abraham's obedience. Abraham obeys. You know, this has always been one of the most striking things for me in this story. And maybe it was for you as you heard Jesus read it, or as you read it this week, you thought about it in the past. God says, take your, your son, your only son, and offer him to me as a burnt sacrifice. And Abram, Abraham does not say a mumbling word to the Lord. He doesn't ask a question. He doesn't try to reason with God. He doesn't like he did for Sodom. He doesn't try to, you know, intercede for his son's life. He doesn't say a word. All he does is obey. All Abraham did was obey. And he got up early in the morning, just as he did when he went to see Hagar and Ishmael off in the last chapter and to give them some water and provisions that he knew wouldn't last them long. But he got up early in the morning to send them into the desert because that was God's will. And he gets up early in the morning to get everything together and get all the people together who are going and start on this journey as God had commanded him. And it simply says that he went to the place of which God had told him. Now look, this is a three-day journey north to the mountain where one day Solomon would build the temple. It's a three-day walk. Derek Kidner calls this a protracted test and sustained obedience. Eugene Peterson's book, remember, a long walk in the same direction. He said obedience is a long walk in the same direction. And I wonder, as they walked along, maybe you wonder this too, as they walked along for three days, did they talk? They talk about the trip and where they're going and why they're going there. Abraham knew why he was going there. Isaac, walking happily along just to be with his dad on a journey, that's cool, right? Sons like to go on journeys with their dad, but he had no idea what awaited him. Did they talk about it? Did did, did Isaac see the agony on his father's face, or was it just a resolute face like Jesus set his flint to go to Jerusalem and, 
And Abraham set his face like flint to go to Moriah, even though what awaited him there was unspeakable. You know, I think Abraham must have believed with all his heart that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. I mean, that's the only way I can understand him saying to the servants when he left the servants with the donkey and him and Isaac started up the hill, he said to them, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And that's supported by Hebrews 11 that says he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Now, read those last three words again. From the dead. Okay, Abraham believed, all right, if I slay my son as God has told me to do and I offer him as a burnt offering to God as God has told me to do, God will surely raise him from the dead. But there's still the dead part. Abraham still has to kill his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. Can you imagine the agony of Abraham on this journey? Well, they got to the place at the bottom of the foot of the mountain where it was too steep for even the donkey to go up. And so he leaves his two servants with the donkey and he says, we'll be back. And he takes the imagery here. It's powerful. He takes the wood that's going to be used for the burnt sacrifice and he lays it on his son Isaac. Just as Jesus was forced to take the crossbeam on his shoulders to carry up the hill to Golgotha. So the father Abraham carries the fire and the knife and they walk up together. The sacrifice and the one who would offer a sacrifice to God, His precious and only Son of Promise. And Isaac asked his father, where's the lamb for the offering? We, we forgot the lamb, Father. We should have brought a lamb. There's no lambs around here. We're in the middle of nowhere. Where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb my son, this would become Abraham's lifelong message. This was, a, this, this was the seminal event in Abraham's life where he learned better than anyone perhaps had learned up to that point, maybe Noah, that God will provide even in the most exigent of circumstances, even in the most extreme circumstances, God is able. And in fact, it will become the name of the place where he saw it happen with his own eyes. The Lord provides. God always has, even the greatest provision of them all. We know there'll be a substitute for Isaac, but there was no substitute for Jesus on the cross, was there? You know why? Because Jesus was the substitute, right? He was the substitute for us. He was God's only son, the son whom he loved. So Abraham built the altar, he laid the wood in place, and then he reached for the son he loved. And I can't imagine this moment when Isaac realizes for the first time, oh, I'm the sacrifice. With tears, perhaps, Abraham bound Isaac and laid him on the altar. And Alan Ross writes, the real point of the act was Abraham's sacrifice of himself, that is, of his will and his wisdom with regard to his son 
Isaac. God's thoughts are higher. God's ways are higher. And Abraham obeyed God. And you know what else is happening here? Isaac obeyed his father. He opened not his mouth. Where do we hear that? Isaiah 53, 7. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. I don't know what happened then. I mean, a typical burnt offering sacrifice, the lamb's throat would be cut and blood would be spilled and then the meat would be laid on the altar and the fire would consume it. So maybe Abraham has the knife poised at Isaac's throat. Pictures you see, he's got it like he's going to plunge it into Isaac's heart. It doesn't matter. The point is that he's ready to take the life of his son and God speaks. And that leads us to God's provision. Abraham had passed, passed the test and the angel of the Lord tells him, say, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. By, this, by the way, this is the angel of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, so this is probably the son of man, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus speaking from, from heaven. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me, not from an angel, from me, from God. Abraham was counted righteous by God long before this act, wasn't he? What made Abraham righteous in the sight of God? What was it? Everybody say it. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what is happening here? His faith was completed and proven by his works. James wrote it this way. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? One of the reasons James almost didn't make it into the canon of Scripture was because it sounds there like James is saying you can do stuff and God will approve of you. If you do works, God says, all right, that's good, boy. You, you've done enough. Come on in. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying faith without works is dead. Faith is completed and proven by works. Abraham believed God, but here he proved it. He completed that faith in a way that God said, now I know, now I see that you would not even put your son, your only son, the son of promise, ahead of me. Guys, we can't put our wife ahead of God. We can't put our children ahead of God. We can't put our job ahead of God. We can't put our, our money ahead of God. We can't. We can't. God has to have everything. And then we have his blessing on all of the things he's given. So at that moment, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and there's a ram caught in the thicket. It's kind of like that well that, you know, Hagar lifted up her eyes and saw that well that was there, that oasis in the desert. And here Abraham sees a ram. Never heard it. Never saw it to that point. But there it was just at the moment. And he offered it as a burnt offering, verse 13, instead of his son. He worshiped the Lord, and I can imagine Isaac, what do you think? Worship the Lord with all his might. That was one grateful father, and that was one grateful son. And it changed their lives forever. Abraham named the place after an attribute of our great God. The Lord provides. Jehovah Jireh literally means the Lord sees or the Lord provides. And I think this is the first mention 
you can check me on that. But that name became a saying among the people of the day, and it's recorded here. They would say, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. On the mount of the Lord. And look, this is where the temple would be built. The sacrifices on the mount in the temple are a thousand years later. But their day would end for believers when the Lamb of God was provided. Not on the mount, but very close to it, outside the city, on another hill called Golgotha. So then the angel of the Lord speaks again. And again, I believe this is God himself speaking, his son speaking from heaven. And the covenant promise of Genesis 15, did you notice this? It's not only renewed. Everything I told you in Genesis 15, God says, I'm telling you again, your offspring will be like the sands on the shores. It'll be, they'll be like the stars in the heavens, the millions who will follow after you and after my son. And that includes us, if you know Jesus. That's the first part of the promise. It's about the many, but the second part of the promise is about the one. He says, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The promise made to Abraham would fully and finally be realized in Jesus. And Abraham got a look at the greatest sacrifice that would ever be given to mankind there on Mount Moriah. Derek Kidner says it this way, so he, Abraham, was enabled in the surrender of his son to mirror God's still greater love while his faith gives him a first glimpse of resurrection. The test, instead of breaking him, brings him to the summit of his lifelong walk with God. Why does God test us? Because we need to be tested to demonstrate our faithfulness to the Lord, to walk in obedience, because faith without works is dead. What can we take away from this story? Number one, God tests the faithfulness and obedience of his people by asking him to give, asking us to give him the best that we have. He doesn't ask for our leftovers. He doesn't ask for the things we don't care about. He asks for our best. And of course, that's our life and our work, our worship, and everything that we own. Number two, obedience to the Lord may require giving up a personal ambition, a possession, or direction in the life that we had believed was God's plan for us. And we've all heard those testimonies of somebody that said, you know, I thought God had called me to play football. And then in college, you know, I was going to be drafted in the NFL. And then I had that torn ACL. And, and then he, this guy ends up uh, doing something Great for the Lord, right? Being a, 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 an evangelist or, open, or starting a company that will feed the hungry people and et cetera. I, I remember hearing the story of uh, Jason Brown. I think his name was. He played in the NFL. He went to Carolina. And now he has a, a big farm in North Carolina. And, and everything they raise on this farm, he gives to the, to the hungry people in, in the state and other places. I heard his testimony. I thought, see, God used him in the NFL. God used him in, in football. But his real purpose for Jason was to use his, his talents, his abilities, and his resources to help people who needed food. Nathan's testimony today was, was a demonstration of that as well. Nathan obviously has a job. He's providing for his family. But God called him to something beyond that 
where he could be a middleman, him and Julie, to help people who need his help. Number three, we can do that, obey the Lord with joy and without fear because we know the Lord will provide. I mean, Abraham's going to live about, I don't know, how old is Isaac in the story? We're not told. Was he 10? Was he 12? He's called a child, but the word can be translated young man. Let's say he's 12 years old. So Abraham's 112. He's going to live 63 more years. So for 63 more years, I don't think Abraham ever had a doubt again that God can provide for anything and everything he needed. His faith was completed in that act. And our faith is growing, and we can also trust God in those places where it seems like uh, there's no way that God can do what he's asking us to do. Let's pray. Let me take a moment and just challenge each of us to go before the Lord in the quietness of your own heart. Maybe there's something he's been asking you to lay down, something he's been asking you to uh, take up, some some act of obedience that he's been calling you to. And, and you've been resisting that because you keep saying, Lord, I don't understand that. I don't know why that would help me or help anybody else. Lord, why would I want to do that? And I have no idea. If there's anybody in here who's in that position where God's asking you to, to lay something down for his glory or take something up for his glory, but I know for a fact that he, he's calling each one of us to obey him day by day, moment by moment, and he gives us the grace to do that. So maybe right now you just talk to him about whatever he's asking you to do and say yes to, to the Lord. Father, we thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are perfect and your thoughts are perfect and your plans are perfect and what you call us to do is perfect. And Lord, we want to be obedient to everything you've called us to do. So I pray for my brothers and sisters, myself, all of us, Lord, and this church, that we might be on the altar, sacrifice day by day, daily sacrifice, that we might be pleasing to you in, in everything everything we say and do, that you'd be glorified in it, and we would grow up in, in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.